Hi, I'm Heather Mulder. And I'm Janice Greeno, and you're listening to Dementia Untangled, where we explore the topic of dementia through conversations with physicians, experts, and community leaders. Our discussions focus on innovative ideas, practical strategies, and proven methods to guide caregivers along a supportive path. Hello, and welcome to Dementia Untangled. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of our podcast. Today, our conversation will be with Roger Marple, who is living with Alzheimer's disease. And we're gonna be discussing finding a new purpose while living with dementia. You know, Janice, I had the pleasure of meeting Roger, oh gosh, it's been a couple of years ago now, um, on a project called To Whom I May Concern. You may remember a few episodes ago, we talked to Arthena and Jay, who are also living with dementia. I and do. Roger was part of that project with us. And I just was so blown away by his perspective um, and his ability to tell an impactful story uh, that I just knew we had to have him on the podcast. He is very active on his Twitter account and uses it at kind of as a platform to educate other people. And we have a quote that I've pulled from there that says, I have been living a meaningful life with Alzheimer's. I have decided to use my Twitter account to spread positive aspects towards living well with dementia. I remember when you came back from meeting Roger and Jay and Arthena, and I thought to myself, oh, I would love to meet them. And I got to meet Jay and Arthena. And today I'm ex so excited to meet Roger and to talk about this subject of finding a new purpose. And it reminds me of how in this podcast we get to explore and share research that helps us to untangle dementia. And there's a fascinating study from the 70s by Langer and Roden that explored the impact of increased personal responsibility and choice in a group of nursing home residents. And in this study, one group of residents was encouraged to make various small choices and they were given the responsibility of caring for their very own houseplant. And the other group had staff make those small choices for them, and they had their houseplant taken care of by uh, a staff person. Well, this study found out that after 18 months, those residents who were taking care of their own houseplants had improved health. So Janice, are you telling me that finding purpose and improving your health can be as simple as caring for your own houseplants or maybe taking care of a pet or helping to prepare a meal, maybe even just meeting with friends? I'm telling you, that's what the research shows. And I remember when I learned about this study, I thought it was so amazing. And I think that we all need to remember to celebrate those small successes. And I'm so looking forward to talking to Roger and finding out how he has been so successful at living well with dementia and finding his new purpose. And I think Roger is so great at putting into perspective, it really is 
the small things, whether you are someone living with dementia or you're looking at ways to support someone living with dementia, it really gets back to the small things. Welcome, Roger. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, I appreciate you having me. So before we get started, we want to learn a little bit more about you. Can you tell us about your journey and, and what led you to connect with the dementia community? Well, I had a, an incident that happened in a grocery store. So picture in your mind, if you will, <laughs> getting a diagnosis of dementia. Picture in your mind, walk with me here. Picture yourself in my shoes. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So walk with me. So I get a diagnosis of dementia. It's about five days after my diagnosis. I'm trying to get my head around a diagnosis like this. And, and, and it does take a while to get your head around a, a, any situation that might be challenging your mortality. So anyway, I walk into a grocery store. I pick up some grocery items I needed, and there wasn't too many cashiers working that day. So the lineups were fairly long. So the lineup that I'm in, I, I'm guessing eight to 10 people. And I'm watching, uh, I just have some groceries in a basket, and I'm waiting for my turn to pay for the groceries. And I'm watching the cashier ring through groceries for a guy I'd say he's about four or five people ahead of me and I'm watching them ring through the groceries. And at the end of the sale, they traditionally ask, have you found everything you're looking for? And I could tell by the guy's body language, he had forgotten something. And with a real loud voice, and I'm talking loud, he goes, I'm having an Alzheimer's moment. And then he starts mimicking what I thought looked like someone having an epileptic seizure. So here's the guy doing the funky chicken, jumping around. I can't quite describe whatever he was trying to achieve. And he's repeating, I'm having an Alzheimer's moment. So as this is happening, I look over at the cashier, people in front of me, people behind me, everybody burst out laughing. And he's putting on quite the show here and I think for me just in that moment in time everything come rushing back to me you know because I just got a diagnosis and I, I think everything come rushing back to me I, I realized the gravity of my situation I'm going holy cow I have Alzheimer's oh my god oh my god you know that kind of thing and these thoughts are going through my mind and and I think everything coming back to me, I got quite emotional. And I found myself, as all these people are laughing in front of me and behind me, I have my head down and I'm choking back tears. Uh, as mentioned, you know, the reality of the situation. And I actually, I was quite shocked by all this. So anyway, to make a long story short, I kept my head down and I quickly regained my composure and finally it become my turn to pay for the groceries. And I did mention to the cashier because I couldn't get it out of my mind. I said that whole exchange there, it, it just wasn't cool. And the cashier said, well, you have to admit it was funny. 
And I can remember when I picked up my groceries, it took everything in me not to give her a one finger salute as I was walking away. But I, I think that was a pivotal moment in my life. And, and I think that's what, you know, describe it as a schoolyard bully. Maybe you're not so tough if I push back kind of concept. You know, Roger, this story reminds me of an interview that we did in season two with a woman named Katie Brandt. And she referred to it as kind of a superhero origin story. And she was talking, uh, speaking to the role of caregiver, but it seems like you kind of had that same experience. This wasn't something that you chose for your life, but you had this sort of one instant that kind of fired you up. Yeah. But I wonder if we could take a step back um, a little bit further. And mm -hmm. could you tell us a little bit about what made you think something was not quite right or what prompted you to go to the doctor? Well, that's an interesting conversation in itself. Uh, you know, people often ask people with dementia, why didn't you go to a doctor sooner? You know, questions like this. And they're looking at it from their perception, not ours. And what I mean by that is the reality is that dementia, whatever form it may be, sneaks up on you. And, and the human body has this remarkable way of creating workarounds in our lives. So for example, my memory was getting really bad. Well, I recognized my memory wasn't doing that good. You know, so I started putting more and more uh, techniques towards memory. I didn't think of it as a possible form of dementia. I just thought I have a bad memory. So I start putting workarounds towards better memory techniques, that kind of thing. Uh, but I think what brought it to a head was I was in a management role in a health services environment. I overseen Southeast Alberta. And uh, I compiled some information that they needed. I sent it to my boss and it was an Excel spreadsheet and there was some data that I extracted that he needed. And he looked over my thing and sent it back to me 90 seconds after I sent it to him. He goes, what the hell is this? And I, I looked at the spreadsheet and it didn't even make sense to me. And I had just sent it to him. And Shortly after that, the phone rings. He goes, what's wrong with you? I go, what do you mean what's wrong with me? He says, your work, it's, it hasn't been up to snuff, Roger. You're very meticulous. You're not now. And what is that mumbo jumbo you sent me? And I said, I don't know. It looked fine when I sent it to you. And he says, and to make a long story short, he was fishing for reasons why I wasn't doing well. You know, he said, are you doing drugs? And I go, well, no, no, I, I don't do drugs. Are you drinking? No, no, not a big drinker. How's your marriage? Marriage is fine. You know, at the time it was. And uh, he was at a loss. And at the end of the conversation, he goes, you need to see a doctor. Something's not right. And that was the reason I walked into my doctor. Wow. I can't imagine how that might have 
felt for you. Um, talk to us about what happened then. Tell us about the diagnosis journey for you. Well, as far as the actual diagnosis journey, uh, I can remember my family doctor referred me to a neurologist. And the neurologist, he, oh, wow, he sure gave me the head to toe physical, that kind of thing, a lot of testing. And the neurologist, people always seem to mention what a surprise it is when they receive a diagnosis. Well, it wasn't a surprise to me at all because my, my neurologist made it clear. You know, he said it could be anything from a form of dementia to a vitamin deficiency to a thyroid problem, treatable brain tumor. He said, there's so many things it could be, and we're going to find out one way or the other. And uh, after a year and a half, uh, he finally did come up with the diagnosis of uh, dementia. And Roger, since then, you've had a lot of opportunities to share your stories and you worked with a, a lot of different organizations. I think, namely, most recently, you worked with the World Health Organization and provided recommendations to physicians when um, delivering a diagnosis of dementia. Could you share a couple of those recommendations? Well, I was with the Dementia Alliance International. I have spoken to the World Health Organization. I'm a big supporter of research. Researchers have a friend in me, trust me. Um, I, I've been involved in many, many, many research projects and I've advocated for better funding for research. I'm a big believer in dementia-related research. But when I, they do a, a theme every year Alzheimer's Disease International. They do a World Alzheimer's Report. And this year, they did the theme was the diagnosis journey for people with dementia. So their whole Alzheimer's Report for this year was towards the diagnosis. And uh, I, I, I made two recommendations. One is, you know, don't change how you do a diagnosis. Be transparent be honest, show the values that you all hold dear to your hearts that our medical community does with transparency and honesty and let us know where we stand. But there was always two things I wish they would do because there's the human nature part of getting a diagnosis like this. They're about to tell you that you have a condition that has a 100% mortality rate. And yes, that's true. So, so you just drop this bombshell on whoever it is and thousands of us get diagnosed every day. But what happens after the fact is that we, and this happens pretty well every time, where when we get home, we're going to look into our condition, but everyone goes through this sea of despair getting a diagnosis such as this. So there was always two things I always recommended. One is if a doctor is giving a diagnosis of dementia to whoever it is, and you tell them all the things and you tell them the progression of the disease and you're upfront, you're honest, and they know where you stand. But it also helps if they plant a seed of hope, right? And that hope is what I always recommend is that, you know, it is possible 
to live a meaningful life for some time to come and to take advantage of that window of opportunity and live the best life you possibly can. So yes, you're going to die. Yes, that's all going to happen, but not yet, right? And they can't make any promises for any one person, but generally speaking, a lot of people can live a meaningful life for some time to come and get out there and do the things that you love to do. Absolutely. So they, yeah. So if they kind of plant that seed, you know, and said, yeah, things are going to get bumpy. Yes, you're going to have challenges, but yes, you can live a meaningful life for some time to come and take advantage of that. And the other part is making a referral to an Alzheimer's society, whether a medical community knows it or not, they have no idea how much work our Alzheimer's societies take off their shoulders by proactively answering questions our doctors are often inundated with. So if they work smart, make the referral, take some work off your shoulders. They're partners in care for the care that they give. They complement each other. It only makes sense, right? Uh, so those are the two things I always recommend to doctors when given a diagnosis. See to hope, make the referral. These are such excellent recommendations and so simple. I also remember when you've talked about getting the diagnosis, how your doctor had said it's really important to make sure that your affairs are in order. And I watched you on YouTube and there was a quote you had that I liked and it was, this is something we should all do anyway, whether we have a diagnosis or not. After all, don't we all live with this terminal condition called life? That's right. Dementia is just an underlying condition to our overall terminal condition called life, right? So the name of the game is to live the best possible life possible, right? Whether it's with any health condition you may have. So and I got to put a disclaimer here. I, if, if, if I have been accused often in public media for sugarcoating this condition, I have heard it often. If I nickel for every time I've been challenged towards this, I'd be a rich man. So you have this general perception where people will come after me and say, Roger, you're sugarcoating this condition. You know you're going to die. There is no hope with dementia. None. You're going to die. Well, this other terminal condition called life, you're going to die too. Does that mean you should change up how you live? No. So people got to quit thinking of it that way. Just because it's a terminal condition doesn't mean you can't live a meaningful, full life for as long as you possibly can. So for those who say, Roger, you sugarcoat this condition, I don't. I simply point out making the best out of a bad situation or what could be a bad situation or what will be a bad situation. So understand that. I'm a realist. I know it has a 100% mortality rate. I get that. I get it's terminal. But what I don't get is people's attitudes towards you couldn't live a good life because eventually it's going to get rough. That part I can't figure out. 
So Roger, talk to us more um, about living the best possible life. How have you found new purpose since your diagnosis? My theory, or from an advocacy point of view, and advocacy isn't for everyone, and that's okay. What I always encourage is live your best life, whatever way it may look, you know, travel, hang out with friends, do whatever floats your boat. But one thing I do enjoy is advocacy. And uh, I've learned that if we are to move the needle, whether it be better funding for dementia-specific research or uh, with COVID, we've had a lot of issues with care for people with dementia and care facilities or community-based programs, all these wonderful things that's out there in the community or that could be, it's only going to be achieved by the voice of the many, not the voice of a few. So my goal, my overarching goal is to make it more comfortable for people walking this journey to speak openly. And this includes loved ones, care partners, whatever you want to call them, but loved ones who that support us in this journey. They live with this condition as much as we do. So, so they're part of this equation. They're living with dementia as well. And, and we need a more vocal, open society. Years ago, there was, there was stigma attached to our cancer societies and how they overcame it, how they got past the stigma is when people started saying derogatory remarks or misperceptions, whatever way it looked, they talked about it and they talked about it and they talked about it and then more people talked about it and they were open, they were forthright, they talked about it without reservation, they talked about cancer comfortably, clearly and loudly and a lot of people speaking and guess what? The stigma went away. The million dollar question I have is why haven't we learned from that? It's been achieved, it's been done. I've seen it with my own eyes, a lot of us have. So why haven't we applied that to forms of dementia? Why aren't we encouraging people to speak openly? That's how we're going to move the needle on this. And that's how we're going to change public perceptions. Voice in the many. And thank you so much for being that voice and for stepping up with passion and articulately uh, sharing how people can make a difference and sharing how you can have a meaningful life. I loved how you were talking about how it sounds like you were just just being you and exploring your interest and maybe golfing or surrounding yourself with positive people, surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals with the Alzheimer's Society or others in your community. And I've also heard that you have an awesome cat named Bernie, the Wonder Cat. Wonder Cat. I think it's important for us to have um, pets and purpose and routine, what are some of the things that you build into your day that make your days beautiful? I, uh, I don't know, like, it's been interesting in my community, because I've, I've done a lot of media, I've done 
interviews that has hit papers coast to coast. I've done TV interviews that have on every channel or TV station across Canada. I've done numerous speeches and talks around Canada and other places, and it's just thrilling to be. But one thing I've noticed, it's been a social experiment in my home city because often people recognize me from that. And I was often curious on how people receive people living with dementia in the community, generally speaking. And that's when I made the realization that people are more cool with dementia than you might think. People think, and this is our fault, but people think that people aren't cool with dementia. Um, I find that to be totally incorrect. I've walked in a store and maybe I'm a little cloudy that day and I'll ask someone and they'll go, yeah, yeah, come with me. I'll show you where that is. Here you go. Is this what you're looking for? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. Yeah, there you go. Have a good day, right? You know, so they, they helped you out or maybe at a post office. You know, I remember I had one day I was in a fog and I asked a lady to help me fill out a form. Uh, to get something mailed. And she goes, I'd be only too happy to. That's called kindness, right? Didn't have to. She was just a decent human being and helped help me out, you know? And, and that's how the community I see generally speaking, it doesn't have to be my community, but people are wired that way. They want to help. They don't have to be an expert in dementia. You just have to be an expert at being a decent human being and helping a person out, even if you don't get what's going on. And that's such an important message. And again, gets back to that point of, it's just really simple things that can make such a difference. We've talked with you previously about the importance of building dementia-friendly communities. And um, you gave us one example about how, again, it can just be so simple to help someone who's struggling. You shared another story with us about one of your friends who um, went into the grocery store and couldn't remember what kind of meat she wanted? Oh yeah, I love that story. So so I, I have a friend, uh, she lives in a different province, I'm in Canada. She had a form of dementia, she walks into a store and she, she kind of blanks out why she's even in the store. And uh, she goes, oh, the hell with it, I'll just pick some stuff up, maybe it'll come back to me, right? You know, and, uh, she's wandering around the store, picking some stuff up and she gets to the deli counter. And this is, I love this because this person had no idea she had dementia or didn't know anything about it. I'll put it that way. So she walks up to this deli counter and she wanted to get some lunch meat, right? And she's looking at the lunch meats and she can't remember what she wanted or she couldn't remember what type of meat she wanted. So she just looked at the young guy behind the counter and she was quite honest and blunt. You know, she goes, excuse me, young man, I uh, have a form of dementia and I have some memory issues and I need some lunch meat, but I can't remember what type of lunch meat I need. And uh, the guy behind the counter, you know, could have easily said, well, if you don't know, how am I supposed to know? <laughs> right. But he, didn't. right. Right. He didn't. And he thought for a second, he, he goes, well, I'll tell you what, point to a meat that interests you. 
and 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 the, the, the she points to a particular meat and he just takes a sliver off cuts a piece off and hands it to her he said taste that and, and uh, she goes oh my god that's delicious and she goes what is that and he goes that's honey hemp do you like it yeah how much do you want well give me 100 grams right you know so he wraps it he goes anything else he goes let me try that one but you, you, you see the pattern here. Here's a young person who knew nothing about dementia. She mentioned she could use a hand and why she could use a hand. The person heard her request, cleverly thought of a solution, and bing, bang, boom, made her day. And one hell of a good person for being a decent human being and taking a second or two extra to help her out. And she ended up getting what she needed, and off she merrily went. But I love that story in particular because that person didn't know anything about dementia. He didn't have any preconceived perceptions. He just knew that this woman could use a hand that day. And he sure accommodated. And, and that's what I see in society all the time. People are decent human beings. I think my philosophy is that People living with dementia need to cut the general public some more slack. We, are, we have this often in the dementia community. We, we're assuming people aren't cool with dementia. And I think that's a big mistake on our part. And I think that's a stigma-driven behavior on our part. Um, I think if more people were a little more open and honest, they would quickly learn that our communities are more cool with dementia than they might think. And give me a hand. It's handy for people to know, generally speaking. I know of a waitress that I at a restaurant I frequent. When I leave, she makes sure I didn't leave my phone or glasses on the on the table. She makes sure I got everything I came with. Uh, you know, she goes, Roger, you forgot your reading glasses again, or do I have to call you at home and remind you? Are you going to take them now? Right. You know, and we have a laugh and I put my glasses away and off I go. Right. But that's how it can look in the community. Yes. You know, it can be a good thing. I love those stories. And I love how you're just sharing stories of how simple it can be to build a dementia-friendly community, and all you need is a little bit of kindness. Yeah, and, and if you do see stigma in your life, understand that 95% of the people, it's stigma-driven, or I should say it's, it's ignorance-driven. In other words, they didn't know. It's not like they're mean-spirited people. And if we are to expect empathy and understanding, in our lives from the general public, we have to extend, uh, extend that same empathy and understanding and understand why people say what they say. And if you do see stigma in your life, challenge the stigma, do it respectfully, do it with kindness, meet those people with the same empathy and understanding that we expect and challenge the stigma in a polite, respectful way, because most of the time when I do it, people go, gee, I never thought of it that way. You've made a friend that day. You're inching 
that public perception in a positive direction. And the only way that can be done is challenge it in a polite, respectful way. Roger, we have so enjoyed our time with you today. Um, and I'm sure our listeners are anxious to learn more from you. So if you would like to hear more from Roger, um, you actually can just simply Google his name, Roger Marple, and you'll see a lot of um, different interviews and media pieces that he's done. Or as mentioned previously, he uses Twitter quite a bit to connect with his audience. And his Twitter handle is at RogerDodger991. Now, before we close, Roger, I wonder if you could give us your final thought when it comes to finding new purpose while living with dementia. I don't know if I'd describe it with finding new purpose. Um, I still have the same hopes and dreams I've always had. The reality is I may have changed up. I may have found a uh, my sea legs from an advocacy point of view, and I love doing interviews, I love changing perceptions, that kind of things, and that is very meaningful in my life. But in my personal life, a whole lot hasn't changed. I still do what I love to do. I still have dreams of travel and seeing sights and going to places I haven't been. That hasn't changed. I still love visiting my kids that hasn't changed. I still enjoy a good game of golf. That hasn't changed. So I don't know if I describe it new purpose. I'm just keeping my purpose. Beautifully said. Roger, we so appreciate you helping us untangle um, living well with dementia. I appreciate your message of being yourself and of simple kindnesses that we can extend to beloved members of our community. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. And don't forget folks, speak openly. Thank you so much, Roger. It has been such a pleasure having you today. And thank you for the beautiful reminder that society is a wonderful place. And I just wanna thank you, Heather, for another outstanding conversation. And thank you, Amber, for all you're doing behind the scenes in the producing of this podcast. And of course, we want to thank you, our wonderful listeners, for joining us. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Dementia Untangled and share this podcast. I'm looking forward to our next conversation on Dementia Untangled. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dementia Untangled. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Dementia Untangled is hosted by Heather Mulder and Janice Greeno, produced and edited by Amber Ayers, and is brought to you by Banner Alzheimer's Institute and Banner Sun Health Research Institute. We are supported by generous donations to the Banner Alzheimer's Foundation. Please visit our website at banneralz.org and follow us on Facebook to learn about upcoming events. If you have questions or comments, please email us at dementiauntangled at bannerhealth.com. <music>